first episode of the Cop Talk podcast. I'm joined today by two authors of the book Cop Talk, Jim and Mark Lambert. This show is an opportunity to get both information and tips on how to make your life safer. And you're always welcome to ask us the questions that you've always wanted to ask the cops. Today, joined by Jim and Mark, let's start with a couple introductions. Jim, why don't you go ahead and tell everybody. Tell everybody what, Brent? Why don't you just tell everybody about yourself and why they should actually be listening to this show? Well, personally... You want, you want me to go? Personally... <laughs> oh, is that Mark there? Personally, uh, I'm 53 years old. I live in the uh, Central California Bay Area. I've been a law enforcement officer for 25 years. On top of that, I was a paramedic assistant in uh, some nearby counties for seven years. And then before that, I was a volunteer firefighter. I've kind of done all gambits of uh, public service, and the reason why I chose law enforcement was because you weren't just putting out fires or going to car crashes or, or just one aspect of it. As a police officer, you respond to everything, and I really like the day-to-day -day challenge of, of what we go to. What prompted Cop Talk being born was a call that I went to. Uh, actually, I didn't even respond to the call. I was coming home from work. And uh, I took the freeway exit uh, over in the west end of the county that I normally take, and it was all flared off. And some of my partners from another agency were there, and I asked them what happened. And to make a long story short, a, a woman that was driving home uh, around midnight from her third job uh, was two blocks away from home where her 12-year-old daughter was waiting. It was a couple weeks before Christmas, and she was stopped at the light with no other cars around. And she didn't notice three criminal elements getting out from behind the bushes and approaching her car. And That's before nice way she, of saying it. Before, well, I was trying to be polite. Um, okay. Before she could react to it, she had a gun pointed in her face, and they were yelling at her to to uh, get out of the car. She didn't didn't speak English. Was confused by what she was seeing, and they took that as uh, as an aggressive act from her, and basically put four rounds into uh, into her head at point-blank range and killed her on sight. When she got shot, her foot pressed the accelerator and the car crashed on the other side of the freeway off-ramp. Um, unfortunately, it was directly in view of her condominium, which was a block away. And the whole thing just, uh, it really bothered me because here you have this individual that's working three jobs. There was uh, all the family Christmas presents in the back of the car. And because she didn't know to always be alert, always look around, have your door locked, uh, this this tragedy that didn't need to take place did. And if you look in the headlines, even though Cop Talk uh, was written uh, 10 or, or so years ago, nothing has changed in the content of the book because nothing has changed in the headlines in the newspapers that we read. So what I wanted to do was come up with a way that instead of just uh, – contacting one person at a time going to one call at a time and saying hey you really need to keep your garage door closed you really need to keep your vehicles locked you really need to do this you need to take this precaution that precaution rather than just contact one person at a time while going to calls uh mark and yourself brent we all came up with an idea that hey if we wrote a book about it that made it available to people and and a website um, maybe a lot more people would get the word than just that one person at a time. So 
because of that woman in that uh, town in, in uh, the west end of the county that I live in and uh, that tragedy and a lot of other tragedies that we or tragedies that we wrote about in the book because of all those that's what prompted not only the book being written but uh, which kind of evolved into this uh, podcast where hopefully uh, everyone will tune in uh, once a week get some valuable information and the biggest thing is if you see a cop sometimes you're a little uh, hesitant to ask a question but we get hundreds of great questions um, everything from how do I make my life safer to how do I present my case uh, in court to how do I get out of a DUI and uh, we're not legal experts but we are experts in police work and we'll give you the bottom line answer and what your questions are so that's it from Jim Mark how old did you say you were Jim 12 whoa what a old fart <laughs> hey i'm uh i'm mark i'm jim's younger brother and uh only by a little bit <laughs> <laughs> well that's only a couple years difference that's good close anyway the way i got into police work i was actually driving a beer truck so uh I, I went from a job where everybody loved to see me show up to a job where everybody hates to see me show up but uh i became a reserve because I saw how I went on a few ride-alongs with Jim, and it was just, I couldn't get enough of it. It was exciting, um, the thrill, the adrenaline, couldn't get enough of it. So after a few ride-alongs with Jim, seeing the calls, how he got to help people, and uh, how dedicated he was, I became a reserve with the department I'm at now. <clears throat> I was a reserve for two years to lock in a pension with uh, the Teamsters Union, and the department hired me full-time. So uh, that was almost 20 years ago. I became a full-time cop. I've worked uh, different aspects of it, canine, detective, uh, motor cop. That was a fun job. In fact, when I worked canine, um, my dog was related to my to Jim's dog. Um, we both worked Rottweilers, and it was it was a lot of fun. So, uh, twenty year, we both worked graveyard shift basically. And Jim called me one night. He goes, you know, he goes, I'm sick and tired of going to call after call after call of crimes to write a report a cold report cold meaning there's no suspects on scene um you're, you're just basically writing the paper after the fact and jim said i have an idea to do something to maybe we can get the word out there give examples of what people did wrong what made them victims write a book and get it out there and hopefully we'd have more time to be proactive on the streets and uh, prevent crime rather than just running call to call to call taking all these cold reports so Cop Talk was born. Um, we both worked graveyard shift. I'd get home at, from work at 3 in the morning, and I'd start. I'd get on the computer for two or three hours, and it was, it was addicting. There was just so much information that we had to share that was locked inside from everything that we've seen over the past years that we've been cops. It was just addicting to write these stories. We couldn't get them out fast enough. And uh, when we compiled enough, Brent put them together. We made a book, and uh, there was Cop Talk. And now here we are doing a podcast to try to get the information out uh, even more. Brent? Hey, Mark. Mark. Yes. You said you went to a job where everyone was happy to see you? Yeah, the Bud Man. Budweiser? And everyone was <laughs> yeah, happy it, to see you? Everybody loved to see the Bud Man. Not everybody oh, is happy to see oh. a cop. All right, Brent. <laughs> All right, so let me, I'll give you a quick background, and then I think maybe we can just touch a little bit more on the book itself and some of the uh, some of the background on that just for a couple minutes. Um, my name is Brent Verzicki. I've been a reserve deputy for about 15 years. 
pretty much, much like Mark, who was a reserve, I started as a police cadet, worked up through the ranks, and then was in search and rescue, went all the way in to become a level one reserve, which basically gives me the same rights as a regular police officer. I just don't get the same benefits or pay. And to this day, I still do that. And I really did that as uh, the, the reason I started doing that is because of the school I went to and the school taught, uh, you know, taught me that I should give back to my community. I said, if you can't beat them, I might as well join them. So joined up. And since then, I've been uh, been working my way up through the ranks, worked in the department in just about every single different facet that I can find, and uh, currently work as a ATV unit, being able to ride off-road and find all the bad guys in the off-road situations. Um, some uh, uh, Off of me and off of all of us and sort of onto this book, I, I remember when Jim approached me about this book, I think it was, oh, I, don't, I don't even remember what year it was, what was it, 90, what, what year was it, Jim? 98 did Jim leave uh, Jim? I think you ran out of coffee Jim yeah, must it was, 98. It it was 98. 98 do you have a copy of the book in front of you that's my question so back in 98 when we when we started this thing I think we all thought that it was just going to be a small a relatively small minor project and it ballooned into something that was so much that it was so much more and I mean, I think we added up the hours at one point. We were at ten or 11,000 hours of labor into the book itself. So it's, there's definitely a ton of information in the book. Um, we're not here to sell the book. We're just here mainly to... Well, sure we are. If someone okay. wants to buy it, we're here to sell it. But... Okay, that's fine. <laughs> there's, our, there's our sales pitch then. Cause there that's, we go. Uh, that, that's the, there's, there's Mark's sales pitch for the book. And you can give them the, the website one... later, and they could breeze through the website and look if they want to. Exactly. On top of the one for Budweiser. <laughs> and I guess the big issue is is that there's a couple different ways to get a hold of us and to ask us questions and I think it's important to get this information out now. The the website is coptalk.info so c o p t c o p t a l k .info. It's not .com, it's not all the other ones, but it is .info and there you can ask questions to us. You can basically there's a form there you can fill out any questions that you want it's all anonymous it comes to us and we can answer them uh, we just want to make sure that you give us rights to actually use those on the site if that's possible if not we'll just answer them back to you to you personally other than that we won't use your name if you don't want us to use your name and I got to interject here Brent I mean Brent was a big help a huge help putting this book together I mean me and Jim couldn't have done it without him. Um, he did a lot of the legwork for getting this book together. But I got to say, the website that Brent has created is outstanding. I mean, sometimes we get tied up with court and work, and we may not get a story of the week or tip of the week every single week, but we try to update it when we can. But Brent has put together all the archives of stories that go back years and tips. You could literally spend hours on the website reading tips and stories from the past, and still not even get to most of them. So Brent has done an outstanding job on the website. It's really something you need to visit and look at. Um, doesn't cost you a cent. We don't ask for anything from you. And, uh, you know, you could go there and really enjoy yourself in the website. And apparently somebody's dog is loose in their home, too. Hey, that's, that's a good thing about safety. If you have a dog that barks when burglars come around, it's a, we'll get into that. That's right. We'll get into that in a little bit. Somebody was so, outside my door, and that's a good burglar alarm. So we'll get into that in a little bit. It doesn't sound quite like your Rottweiler, or used to. So let's see. Uh, that so, was my mud. If you hear the other one bark, it sounds like a chainsaw. So, uh, 
All right. So, I mean, do we want to dive right into some questions? Obviously, we've been getting questions pretty much consistently since we started this Ask a Cop section on the site. I mean, I, I've got I pulled four quick questions that we could start just running down and then we can recap at the end and give everybody how to get a hold of us and we can call it the first show and we can move on from there. So, okay. I, I guess if both of you guys are ready to go, I'll ask the first question and you guys can chime in with however you feel we should get responses. Um, Jim, all good? Got coffee? Ready to go? I guess he's gone again. All right, so. He drinks a lot of coffee. Yeah. This, this first question that was just asked to me the other day actually comes from uh, a friend of mine, so don't be too rough on him. Um, their truck was recently stolen uh, while they were sleeping at home. Uh, the vehicle was locked. It wasn't alarmed. Um, had a pile of construction tools in the back, probably about ten, fifteen thousand dollars worth of construction tools. Uh, marked with company insignia, uh, everything on the car. Basically, woke up in the morning, walked outside to go to work. Vehicle was gone. Um, the question is: Is what do you do in this situation? What should they do? What should they be worried about? What What are the first steps, and what are some of the follow up steps that they need to follow? And I mean, either of you guys, feel free to go for it. Mark, is Jim, is Jim back in yet? Jim's back. Mark, go ahead, Jim. Well, I, I mean, what should they do? The first thing they should do is call the police department and file a report. Uh, whether the car is insured or not, whether you're going to be getting a re, uh, an insurance reimbursement for what was taken or not, you should file a report. If your vehicle is insured, then the first thing that the insurance company is going to ask for is what's your police report number. So that benefits in that way. If your vehicle isn't insured or it's not insured for theft, filing a police report allows all the officers on the street to know that that incident occurred and to be on watch for your vehicle and to know that, hey, on this date and time, you know, these critters came in, you know, this neighborhood and we're looking for a car and got one. And it makes you more aware, uh, you know, that that activity was taking your pl taking place. If if the incident is not reported, we never know about it, and we're going to concentrate on other stuff. Where personally, I like to make projects like this uh, a priority. You know, I, I take it personal when someone comes into a neighborhood and and either breaks into a house or steals a car or anything like that. And if it takes setting up or or doing extra work to try and uh, contact a responsible, then we're going to do it. But by all means, they should report it to the police department. Well, it's a yeah, it's every a, time that. Every time a report is filed with a police department, a stolen vehicle report, it goes on what they call a hot sheet. And the officers look at that before every shift. They see what vehicles are newly reported stolen, which ones have been recovered, which ones are still outstanding. And with something like a work truck with company insignias and whatnot, that's a pretty easy vehicle to spot. So officers are going to be looking for that. More likely than not, we're going to find the vehicle, but the tools are all going to be gone. Um, so one thing that I would suggest before a vehicle got stolen, if somebody has a lot of money tied up in tools, make sure you have serial numbers. Um, if you don't have the serial numbers, the tools are gone. You're, you're not going to find them anymore. There's no way to track them. If you have the serial numbers and you report those to the police, they go in the stolen vehicles or the uh, stolen property system. And it could be a day, a week, a month, a year, two years, whatever down the road. If they do a raid on a house or whatever and they find tools and run serial numbers, it's going to come back to you and you'll get your tools back. Um, 
especially if you have that much money tied up in a truck also, I would think about some kind of vehicle disablers, ignition disablers, something where somebody can't get in and steal a truck if there's uh, that much money you know, sitting well, in that truck. Okay, so on that point, let's just talk about that for a sec. The ignition, the alarms, all that stuff, does that stuff actually work? Sure it does. Burglars don't like noise. If they go to get into a car, I mean, if they really want it, they're going to get it. But if they go to get into a car and they can't get it started and it turns out to be more of a hassle than it's worth, they're going to go on to an easier target. If they go to get in a car and all of a sudden lights start flashing and horns start honking, they know it's going to bring attention. They don't want the attention. Most of them work in the, the dark of the night. I mean, you know, most people work a day job. Burglars and criminals work nights. I mean, they walk through parking lots, they walk through neighborhoods, and they look for easy targets. And so the more that you could do with alarms and motion lights, uh, um, ignition disablers, whatever, the more you could do, the the better chance you're going to find your car in the driveway in the morning still. So it's a it's a crime of opportunity. Now, I, I guess the, the issue that I see, and I might suffer from this myself, is do you even know the license plate number of your cars? Hello? Yeah, are you no, still there? Most, well, I do. Mine's <laughs> personalized plate. But most people don't. And yeah, Mark's is easy to remember. It's I'm a tool. But go <laughs> ahead, Mark. Yeah, that's, that's yeah. good. <laughs> yeah, I won't tell you what Jim's is. <laughs> anyway, we'd have to change the rating on the show. Yeah, no kidding. But uh, no, most people don't. And it's true. When they call the police, luckily... When they call dispatch, if the vehicle's registered in your name, they could look it up that way. But time is of the essence also. If you have that information, I mean, keep it written down somewhere in your house. Um, you know, most people, they have the registration for the car, but the registration's in the truck when it's gone, and they, they don't know. So that's a good point, Brent, to have that kind of stuff handy. Have it written down somewhere in the house where if you have to call the police and say, my car's been stolen, here's the uh, license plate number. And the sooner they get in the system the sooner the police are going to start looking for it. Well, and I guess what worries me is, I mean, everything else. I know, I mean, speaking from a guy who keeps his entire life and his normal job is based out of his truck, which is me, uh, I mean, I have everything in my truck. I mean, everything. And we, we have garage door openers. You have keys. You have all this other stuff that's in there. And I don't think a lot of people take the time to think about what they actually leave in their cars. I think it opens it, uh, another host of opportunity for the criminal that, that gets in that vehicle to be able to come back at a later time. And I know that one of the questions that, that came from this, from this friend of mine, was asked, you know, what should we worry about next? And I guess the question is, is, you know, anything. It, it, they would, I mean, technically you should be worried about somebody coming back for your other cars, somebody potentially coming back for the stuff that's in your home, somebody that's coming, looking at the registration that's in your car and finding out that, oh, look, or finding that car half stripped in some place with all your stuff strewn all over the ground and then opening it up to even another potential criminal. But Well, the majority, the majority of cars taken are for transportation, point A to point B. They drive it a few days till it runs out of gas, till they think it's a little bit too hot. Then they dump it in a neighborhood in the middle of the night. They walk around and grab another car. So the majority of the times, cars are found intact and complete. Um, somebody like your friend's truck that had twenty, you know, fifteen, twenty thousand dollars worth of tools in it—that that's a little gold mine for them. They will find the truck probably complete, but it's going to be minus all the tools. Um, it, I wouldn't worry a whole lot about 
from a stolen vehicle somebody coming back to your house unless um like a movie theater there there's sometimes crooks go to movie theater parking lots or or restaurants or uh, amusement parks the zoo whatever and they'll break into a car and they know that you're going to be gone a couple hours and if they break into the car they see a garage door opener they see your registration they could simply drive to your house knowing that you're going to be tied up for a couple hours inside the movie theater and uh, they can get inside your house and clean your house out before you're even gone um, and this is in your own in your own car in your own car so gated, um, so a gated community where most people in this day and age tend to live in many suburban neighborhoods where they where have you live in, at? I don't where, live in a gated community. Okay, so other than <laughs> we won't even go there. So the issue comes down to is people have a false sense of security being in gated communities because at the guard shack they have a window sticker and this guy just stole your car, took the car, drove down the road, went to the guard shack, got let right in because he has a window sticker. Well, sure, that would work. I would say the majority of people, you know, live in neighborhoods. They don't live in a gated community. And, I mean, it's just so easy if someone steals a car from a movie theater parking lot or uh, they don't even have to take the car. If they're nearby, they got a garage door opener and the registration. They head over to the house and they could be gone before you even get home from the uh, the movie. Um, I mean, that's always a possibility. If, if you have house keys in the car, spare keys, a, a set of uh, a key ring with work keys and house keys, that's an added problem. Somebody knows where you're at. They have a key to your house, and you have to go to the expense of rekeying the locks in your house or, uh, you know, your your work or whatnot. The majority of time, people take the cars. Like I said, it's just for transportation, point A to point B. They'll take the loose change out of the console. They'll take anything of value that might be in the car. The car is abandoned, and they go on to the next one. Um, they don't steal cars to get to houses, but it but it does happen in some situations. And I assume you're seeing a lot of stolen vehicles on a day-to-day basis. Yeah, where I work, there's quite a few stolen vehicles. And it doesn't help in the cold weather. I put out many warnings before, and we've done this on our website. Uh, on cold mornings, people go outside. They start the car. They don't want to get in a car that has frosted-up windows or iced-up windows. And, uh, you know, it's cold. Leather seats are cold, whatever. They'll start their car. They'll come back inside the house. They'll get their cup of coffee or whatnot. They come outside and they wonder why their car is gone. Or they pull into a 7-Eleven parking lot. They leave the car running uh, so it's nice and toasty for them. They go inside. They grab a, you know, a pastry and a cup of coffee. And while they're in line, they look out the window just in time to see their car driving away. I mean, people drive through neighborhoods. This happened to a friend of mine, not a cop, but a friend of mine, uh, at one of the schools that I pop into and it, the exact same thing. Uh, it was a truck, a work truck full of tools, left it running, went inside the house for a minute, came out, it was gone. It just, there's people that drive through neighborhoods looking for the telltale sign of steam coming out of an exhaust pipe and uh, nobody in the car. I mean, it doesn't get any easier than that. It takes a whole two, three seconds for, you know, someone to jump in and, and take that car and be gone. Happens all the time. So, so the mystery deepens on this one because I actually found they actually found this vehicle uh, about two days ago. So they and this is this becomes even more interesting because they found this minus vehicle. all the tools, right? Uh, no, actually they found it completely intact with nothing stolen out of it, and the only thing that was attached to it was a tow strap. Okay, that had to be like an eight-year-old that stole it then, because uh, most criminals would have <laughs> would have taken the tools. Well, I guess the question is: is was it used for a different crime? 
he should have gone to Reno and uh, <laughs> placed a bet that day because he was a very lucky person to get all his tools back. Oh, no, he is, and I think he uh, realizes that. But, I mean, why would somebody steal a truck, a big F-Series pickup truck, to just go and tow something? I mean, was their car broken down and they decided to go rip it off out of a community, four communities over, just to bring it back? And, I, I, I mean, I guess the answer is, is we'll never know. Because they could have happened. I mean, they may have got spooked. They may have saw a cop driving by in the other direction and spooked and, uh, you know, took off. And who knows? It, something spooked them away because uh, most criminals would have would have taken all the tools or broke into the uh, doors to see what's in there. Yeah, well, I was telling I was telling Brent earlier that when he told me about this incident, you know, the same thing happened to my friend um, over in the Bay Area about a week ago. And uh, middle of the night, someone took his work van that was parked on the street with all his livelihood and his tools that he's he's uh, obtained over the last 20 years. Didn't have insurance on the uh, on the vehicle, um, and it was stolen. And it was recovered the next day after it had been used in a carjacking, where his van pulled up to a stoplight. Three guys jump out of the side door, stick a gun in some lady's head, and take her Mercedes, and they leave in the van and the Mercedes. So your vehicle could very easily be involved in another crime. But, you know, and everything that Mark said, you know, it's true. In, in 25 years, I can't think of too many calls where somebody jacked a car in the middle of the night from someone's house and then went back the next day uh, to, to break into the house. So... As far as being worried, you know, it's a 50-50 shot. Yeah, you should be worried. Someone stole your car, and yeah, they were standing in your driveway when they did it. Um, that's not saying that you want to go to bed at night with your lights off for your house and your rear sliding glass door wide open for a breeze. I mean, definitely you should take precautions to keep everything secure. But as far as the tools go that Mark was talking about, you know, the big power tools and stuff that have serial numbers, you should have all that documented somewhere but in this day and age of, of digital cameras everyone should do an inventory of what they have at home and uh and photograph all their belongings yeah i was actually i was actually required to do that by my insurance company they came forward and said we know what you do for a living you carry all this stuff in your vehicle if you plan on claiming any of that you better have some kind of proof that that stuff actually existed by the way digital camera put it all lock it up and you know and then keep that for your record and then it's great because it actually you know it actually helps me out because i understand what i do carry on a daily basis so well the guy yeah the guy that gets his prized uh, crescent wrench stolen that is uh that was handed down to his family from the civil war uh and he doesn't have any numbers on it he describes that verbally to me saying hey it's a sears crescent wrench uh you know and it looks like this well, I may stop a guy with a similar crescent wrench and say, hey, where'd you get your wrench? And he'll say, I got it at Sears. Right. You know, is it yours? Uh, where's your receipt? I don't have the receipt. I've had it for a long time. There's no documentation to support that that crescent wrench is stolen or that it belongs to the other party. But if a guy takes the time to photograph his, his uh, craftsman tool chest and all the tools that might have been uh, engraved with a driver's license or last four of a social security number, or anything color coded, whatever, where we can get it back, it makes it a lot easier. Yeah, the majority of stolen stuff. I mean, certain websites, um, such as Craigslist or other ones, it makes it really easy for people to post stuff for sale and you know basically be anonymous and and sell stolen property. I know Craigslist is trying to crack down on a lot of that stuff, but 
like Jim said, if you have, you know, the last four of your social security number on a tool and, you know, an expensive tool and you see a similar tool on Craigslist for sale and, uh, you know, you go look at it and it's got those numbers, you can call the police. And that's enough proof right there that, you know, they have some stolen property and you, you stand a much better chance of getting your tools or expensive property back if, if you have some kind of identifying information on it. So we're we, at, we, had a guy, we had a guy uh, a month ago, he called Marine Patrol saying, hey, I think my Honda outboard's on Craigslist. So we pull up the ad and it, it uh, had some pretty distinct uh, features listed on there that were consistent with what the owner said. He gave us a description of what the motor looked like. So me and my partner posed as buyers, called, <laughs> called the seller and said, hey, it sounds perfect. I want to put it on my son's 12-foot uh, aluminum boat. Sounds like it'll be awesome. Can we come look at it? And the guy goes, yeah. So we go over to look at it, and the guy was shocked when the uh, Sheriff's Marine Patrol truck's pulling in the driveway, but we kept the game up saying, yeah, I'm the one that called. I want to, you know, put this on my son's boat. And, and uh, sure enough, the motor was identical to what the owner had, had told us. And one thing led to another, and, and we ended up arresting uh, – the individual so craigslist i mean there's so much stuff on there that that is hot that people are trying to sell but it's also a tool for us and for victims to say hey i i think that's mine the more personalized you can make it or identify it with your engravings of your driver's license number or your social security number make it a lot lot more probable that we're going to get it back and, you know, just to touch on that, too, it's kind of the flip side of the coin. I know we'll get into this in another show or episode. If it's too good to be true, it is. Speaking of Craigslist, if, you know, you happen to see a $800 camera for sale for uh, $200 and uh, you happen to buy it, you know, and there's some numbers on it, you really don't care is a good deal, that could come back and bite you down the road. So, like I said, that'll be another episode or something. Uh I think we probably yeah, we could probably talk an entire episode on just how to try to avoid all that stuff. Well, another uh, thing that another thing that Mark said um, in regards to the the vehicles, you know, I, I mean, it comes down to out of sight, out of mind. If you have an ashtray full of coins for uh, that you throw your change into every time you get change in your pocket, some homeless dude is going to walk by and look at that as a pack of smokes or a cup of coffee at 7-Eleven and he will throw a brick through your window just to scoop out as much change as he can you know for that cup of coffee whether you have an alarm or not you know he doesn't want the car he wants what, what he sees if you leave your purse you know there's, we take so many reports women with their purses on the seats they leave them there overnight a laptop computer you know I, I'm sure you guys are the same thing you think about the information that you have on your your laptop computer, financial records, anything else, work information, stuff that couldn't be replaced because you didn't back it up on a hard drive, but more so stuff you wouldn't want somebody else to be privy to or to have information to. Um, don't leave something expensive like a laptop on a front seat. Garage door openers, the first thing a crook is going to think of is, hey, man, that's like a key to a house, so they're, they're going to want that. If you keep all that secure... And out of sight, your portable GPS units don't have that sitting in the window. Take it out, lock it up, secure it, put it under a seat, anything, but out of sight, out of mind. That happened to a friend of mine the other night. He said he went out to a restaurant out here, um, and he said he, he had his GPS unit up on the dash, and he walked into the restaurant, they're starting to eat dinner, and he started double-thinking, saying, hmm, did I lock my car? I can't remember if I locked my car. And he goes, eh, it's a safe town. 
even if I didn't, it should be okay. Well, guess what? It wasn't. He went out to the parking lot. Someone had gone into his car. They stole the GPS unit. They stole some other stuff from in the glove box, and then they popped the trunk and stole the $400 camera that he had in the trunk. <laughs> All, you know, in the 45 minutes that he was in there eating. The bottom line is me and Jim worked graveyard for many, many years. And like, like I had said earlier, criminals, that is their job. They walk through parking lots looking in cars. They walk through neighborhoods. I mean, if you stayed up all night long, I don't want to scare anybody, but I don't care what town you live in. If you stayed up late at night and you stayed up all night long and you looked out your window, you will see cars driving slowly in the neighborhood, maybe parked down at the end of the street. You'll see people walking around at 2 or 3 in the morning. That's their job. That's when they work. They walk through neighborhoods. They're, they're trying door handles. They have small flashlights, and they look in cars. If they look inside of a car and they see nothing in there that they want, they're going to go on to another car. If they see something, they're going to get in that car and they're going to take it. My daughters used to leave book bags from school in the back of their car. And I would yell at them, say, get that out of there. Someone's going to break in. They go, it's only a book bag. And I tried to tell them, you know it's a book bag. But to somebody else that looks in, it could be a laptop case. It could be something else to them. And they're going to break a window and break in to get that. So don't leave anything of you or a value in view in your car because it sooner or later it is going to happen. Well, if you got a police scanner, if you're not a cop and you got a police scanner, that's all you're going to hear all night long is people calling in, and thank God they do, suspicious subjects walking through the neighborhood dressed in black trying car doors. And that's all they do all night. They walk up one side and down the other trying each car door to see if it's going to open up. I'd say five or six times in the morning when I first hit the street, at least five or six calls come out every single day, first thing in the morning, what they call 48 from a vehicle or 459 auto, meaning their car was burglarized or they had something stolen from their car. Every morning, numerous calls of that. How many calls? How many? Well, well, I'd say five or six just in the first couple hours that uh, we start. At least. Yeah, but then I, I like the seventh call that comes in after that. Woman reporting her eight-year-old son won't get out of bed to go to school, requesting police assistance. <laughs> Just thought I'd throw that in there. That's a different show, though, huh? No, actually, yeah, that's a, that that's a, a perfect show. that's a perfect lead into something that I just reposted on the site uh, yesterday, which is your story about where have all the parents gone. So oh, that's yeah. that's something definitely to go see on the site. That was a uh, that was worth. That was probably back in what August ninety nine, ninety eight, I think, early on when that story hit the paper, and then that was that was pretty good. That was but a I, great story. I reread that one last night and went, oh, hey, Jim can write. That's good. Thank you. So yeah, yeah. very much. Well, uh, so and, I guess you know, and when they cut school, they may go down to the bank and catch an undersized fish. With, uh, <laughs> oh, oh yeah. Jim. It's personal jab time. That's always good. So I guess go. just to let's... Anyway, back to the questions. I think that this question is done. Um, I think, in, in, you know, just to wrap it up, you know, it's it's lock it up or lose it. I mean, I, I really don't. I mean, I guess the well, concern... I can totally understand the concerns when it comes to are they going to come back? Should I be worried? Should I go buy a, a alarm for my house or should I actually start using the one I might have? Um, you know, those are all things that I, it's sort of a wake up call. And I think a lot of people sometimes require a wake up call because they become pretty complacent with the security that they feel that they have. But I mean, that goes for anything in life. So, you know, we can just move on to the next question unless you guys got anything else on that one. 
Well, I just want to make sure we covered all the bases on what they were asking. You know, it's, uh, you know, the, the big theme of the book is every action has a reaction. And chances are they're not going to come back. You know, should they be worried about them coming back to their house? You know, chances are they shouldn't. But, you know, that should open the door to where they take a lot more precautions where they do have peace of mind with, with you know, home security and vehicle security. Well, you know, Mark, you can't when we wrote this book, all we pushed was vehicle alarms. Hey, vehicle alarms. You know, you need to have a vehicle alarm. Well, in this day and age, they quickly know how to bypass a vehicle alarm or half the people out there with vehicle alarms don't activate them at night and, and they might as well not have them at all. So tools like the club or the uh, the uh, what do you call that, Mark? The accelerator the ignition something. disabler. That's right. The ignition d disabler. Anything like that, you got to take steps to take it a you know take it up a notch because the criminals are. So you know even you though know, they got something as simple as something as simple as the club like you mentioned. You go to the stores, they have them from like fifteen bucks, twenty five bucks, whatever. It's a visual deterrent. Somebody walks up to your car, they see that. That alone is enough to make them go find an easier target because there's They're easier targets out it. there. No, so you, a visual deterrent, something like that, is enough to make them bypass you and go on to the next victim. You know, that is something to comment on, being that you pushed Budweiser early in the beginning. Um, I've, I've never had a car stolen with a club on it. I, I, you know, what does that have to do with reports. Budweiser? What does that I'm have thinking, to do with No drinking and driving is what he's trying to say. I'm thinking you should buy the club, install it, and then have a beer knowing that your car is safe. Well, as long as you hide the key and don't drive anywhere, we'll end up finding for that, too. That's right. It was fun being the Bud Man, and everybody loved to see the Bud Man show up. Yeah, it's just like a firefighter. Hope some are keys in the car. Don't ever leave your keys in the car. That's just flat-out stupid, and that's what, you know, that's what causes those early morning thefts. The registration in the car, it's not that big a deal. Chances are they already know where you live if they stole it from your house. If they stole it from, a, like, a business, if you were out for the night, then that's a little different. But the worst thing about it is... Now they have a name to put with the car. You know, you, Don't leave you, the GPS units up in the windshield where it draws attention and someone wants to get in for that. Don't leave a bunch of loose change in the center console because that's enough to make the homeless guy uh, go in. It's enough for a pack of cigarettes. It's enough for him to get in there. So don't, bottom line, don't leave anything of you. And bottom line with the stolen vehicles, like I said, the majority is for people to get from point A to point B to go steal another car. The car is found intact. If they steal your 67 Camaro from your driveway, I'm sorry, you're not going to see that one again. There's very few chop shops that, you know, steal the, the piece of junk cars to part those out. Um, the nicer stuff, yeah, that gets taken, that could get chopped. But the majority of the time, if your car gets stolen and you report it quickly, it should be found intact, maybe minus a couple of pieces within a couple of days. But it's always reassuring to know that all those parts will be available online anytime during that day. Absolutely. So, Just go to Craigslist. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, not singling out Craigslist in any way, but, I mean, I've seen plenty of stolen stuff available on eBay, including uh, police lighting and equipment itself. So, oh, yeah. Well, Craigslist uh, is a great thing. I've sold a lot of stuff and bought a lot of stuff on that, but unfortunately, it's so handy and so many people use it. There, there is a criminal element that uh, uses it also. So just hey, it's, think it's where I buy all my tools. So, okay, so let's go, <laughs> let's go on to check the serial numbers next time we go over there, Jim. You got it. Well, they all have, all right. they all have your name on it, so it's cool. Oh, the yeah. uh, question, question two was actually submitted to the site. Um, 
Uh, well, question, okay, well, that's pretty good. So, I just got a ticket the other day, and the police officer wrote me for five over the speed limit. But when he wrote the ticket, he wrote that he was driving in his 86 Ford, but he was really driving in a 99 Cadillac Escalade. Will that mistake on the ticket be a problem? Will that cause him trouble in court? Will that cause the officer trouble in court? Uh, number one, if he got a ticket for going five over the speed limit, he must have really pissed that cop off for uh, for some reason or another. Most cops aren't going to write people for five over the speed limit. Um, there's there's no magic number. People can get a ticket for even going the speed limit if it's unsafe conditions. But the majority of time, five over is not going to get you a ticket or even maybe get you pulled over um, unless it's a zero tolerance area. Hey, cops make mistakes. I've written stuff on citations uh, that was off a bit. Um, bottom line is, if, if he was there and the cop identified him with his driver's license and he was there, doesn't matter what car the cop wrote on the, the ticket. It might have been a mistake. Um, he's probably going to try to bring that up to, to get at the cop's credibility in court. But the bottom line is the judge is going to find out, you know, doesn't matter what kind of car it was. Were you there? Were you driving? And and they'll go on from there. So it shouldn't affect the outcome of the ticket um, by much. Well, I mean, they're going to throw down the wrong vehicle. They have the right plate number. I would assume they're going to have the registration number right there at the court, right? Yeah, and if the car comes back registered to that guy, the vehicle descriptions isn't really going to matter all that much. Jim, anything on that one? Why is the guy got to be having bogus plates on his Cadillac? Ah, see, so what you're saying is that the it's really an 86 Ford on the plate, but it's a, it's on his 99 Cadillac Escalade that's costing him a fortune to actually register. And the cop didn't catch it and just wrote down what came back on the computer for the bogus plate. So really, he'll go to court and that fine could be much worse. Or they're just going to take his car. One way or the other, it's going to come out. You know, they're going to get to the bottom. If I got notified, if I got that citation that I had to go to court on it, and uh, you know, I'd be looking at my records. I print out the uh, the regs of all the cars that I have to go to court on, so I can have it. You know, with the ticket that I wrote, and I also have notes written on the back of the citation regarding how the uh, how the stop went. Um, if I stop a guy for for uh, five over. I'm going to list my three questions on the back of the site so that I have that information when I go to court. Did the guy know why I stopped him? Did he know what the speed limit was in the area? Did he know how fast he was going? Then I'm going to make any other notes about his demeanor or his temperament or, you know, whether he was honest or give me a bunch of excuses, whatever. But if I ran that plate out and uh, it came up in court that it was a, a different vehicle, I'd be telling the judge, hey, I ran this plate. You know, it looked like a Ford to me, but obviously he's saying it's a – it's an Escalade, uh, you know, I think the subject had the wrong plate on the vehicle, and I'd like to look into this. Mm. On the other hand, you may get a judge, if you present yourself in court, and you go in well-dressed and calm and sounding uh, very well-prepared, and you present your case without attacking the officer, there are judges that will hold that against the officer for the indiscrepancy with the license plate, and uh, you want everything to be as factual as possible. There are some judges out there that would probably dismiss it in the interest of justice because the right vehicle information wasn't listed on the citation. So it can go both ways. It could go both ways. So judges are actually fair sometimes. I got to say they are. Wow. 
it's a I'll tell you I've been to traffic court I don't think any of those judgments are fair well I've, I've seen many <clears throat> tickets get dismissed due to different things if the officer simply made a mistake and wrote down a Ford instead of a Cadillac I haven't seen too many tickets get thrown out for something as simple as that but I have seen uh, the officer's credibility um, attacked in court to where you know it was enough for the judge to side with the uh, defendant so mm. it, it, there would be other factors involved there I mean if if the cop asked for the guy's driver's license had the you know the driver's license there copy down the information the signature on the license matches the ticket the guy's you know doesn't have a leg to stand on in court but if there's other other things present that you know it it, it could help him out a little your Honor, I just, I would like to know, I, I mean, the officer wrote uh, that I was driving a Ford, I was driving a Cadillac, uh, he said it was an 86, I was actually driving a 93, I, I, you know, these discrepancies, what's to say I was actually doing five miles an hour, you know, over the limit, and if the officer didn't, uh, you know, say it was three miles, I mean, the indiscrepancies do not make the officer look good in court, so... I think every officer that writes a ticket out there, he's going to be as thorough as possible. And that's what makes me tend to think that, you know, if he wrote a, or did the return on the MDC or the computer in the car, that, you know, is probably a bogus plate on the car. Well, email that person back, Brent, and let them know, let them, uh, know to let us know the outcome of the court case, and we'll do an update on it. Yeah, no, I haven't actually got, I don't think I ever got a reply back when we sent the initial, so we can try to follow up on that one. Uh, anything else? in custody for vehicle theft, anyway. Well, well, yeah, hey, you know, things happen, that might be true. He but stole it out of somebody's driveway in the middle of the night. I think the last time I checked, though, uh, most of the big jails have computer systems now, right, so he could still write back to us, so it's cool. Um, yeah, yeah. So let's just move on to question, the third question today. So... This is an interesting one, mainly because I think that a lot of people have this question, and I, I don't, I don't know the best way to answer this for people. So, what guidelines would you suggest for calling the police? And of course, the problem that they ran into was I once got a smart response from a dispatcher because I waited 20 minutes to report something that I thought looked suspicious. I gave a completely thorough description of the man and his bike, but not timely, evidently. But it made me think. How does Joe or Joanne Public know when to call the police? That's a great question. I, I mean, it really I got is. a good one for you. I got a great one for you. Now fire away. I, we've, we've gone to burglaries. I've gone to burglaries many times where homeowner comes home and they find their front door kicked open. The house is ransacked, a bunch of property missing. So we take the report, <clears throat> start doing neighborhood contacts. And I go to a couple houses down. I contact the lady, explain, hey, there was a burglary down the street. I was wondering if you saw anything suspicious. Well, yeah, I, I saw this car come into the court driving really slowly. There were three guys in it, and they didn't look like from the air, from the area. They, It just didn't look right to me. But, you know, I saw them go down the street, and they parked. And, you know, I didn't call the police. I It just didn't look right, but I didn't call the police. Didn't really think much of it, got involved with something else, and, uh, you know, I looked out the window 20 minutes later and the car was gone. Something like that, if they had called the police, suspicious vehicle, parked down the street, three people in it, an officer would have got dispatch, rolled up on the car, ran the plate, contact the subject, see what they're doing, 
if there was anything in the car, stolen property, anything, they would have been arrested. Anybody had warrants, they would have been arrested. Even if they didn't have anything in the car illegal and the guy had a valid license, the police would have had the names of all the people in the car in the vehicle description. So when that vehicle left that street and went two, three streets over, committed a burglary um, where somebody did call, the cops are going to have all that information. People, If something is suspicious, people need to call in. It may not come in handy right then and there, but that information could be used to solve a crime later that night, the next day, or even the next week. So, so when in doubt, call. If Sooner something the doesn't look right or something doesn't feel right, call in. Um, you know, dispatchers, they, they answer hundreds of calls all day long, and you got to imagine some of the calls that they, they take. That's, that's a tough job. But even they would get frustrated if somebody says, you know, hey, I heard screaming in the park, uh, some woman screaming for help. You know, well, how long ago was this? Eh, about half an hour ago. I mean, they could, dispatchers get frustrated too because um, they know the sooner somebody calls in, if something doesn't look right, doesn't sound right, the sooner people call in, the better chance we have of catching, you know, criminals or, or people doing something wrong. But there, there's a lot of people, they just don't want to get involved. If it doesn't affect them, they don't want to get involved. And in that one case where the lady did call in, you know, kudos to her for calling in, but she called in 20 minutes after the fact, and that 20 minutes could have, could have been the difference between arresting somebody or somebody getting away. So do we want to go into how, well, I mean, how 911 system works on cell phone versus your home phone? Well, you can make it real quick. I don't think we need to spend a lot of time. No. If you're on a corded phone, something plugged into the wall, your address shows up automatically. If you call, call 911, you don't even have to say a word. Your address flashes up on the screen, and they know where the call is coming from. If you call from a cell phone... It goes to a clearinghouse through CHP, and the amount of calls they get, people there's incidents, people being frustrated because they're on hold for 10 minutes when you call on a cell phone. Best thing to do is if you have a cell phone, write down the dispatch number of the police department where you live, where you work, you know, wherever you spend time. And if something happens in that city, if you work in a different city, you call that dispatch number, you get directly to the police department, and a police officer gets dispatched right off the bat. Um, I mean, in an emergency, you can call 911 on a cell phone, but you may get a big delay or it may ring and ring and ring, you know, 20, 30 times before somebody answers. So it's, uh, it's best. I, I can tell you, to... I can tell you from personal experience, I've gotten both on 911 cell phone, I've gotten both a busy signal and put on hold for 20 minutes while standing in front of a fully engulfed Jaguar that was completely on fire that had just come from getting its oil changed. So we did enjoy sitting, standing there, watching his car burn down, why I couldn't call anybody, but it was just one of those things. And I think it's something that people definitely need to understand how that works. Now, how that relates back to this question is, is that obviously if you're in the neighborhood and you call your dispatch center for the police department that will be responding, you're going to get faster service potentially, I would assume. Oh, absolutely. If you call directly, even if they're really, really busy, they may say, do you have an emergency or can you hold? They give you the option. Right. Um, even if they put you on hold, usually their hold is less than 20 to 25 seconds before a dispatcher's freed up. I would say eight out of 10 times or even nine out of 10 times, if you call the agency, the dispatch direct, 
you're going to reach somebody immediately. You're not going to get put on hold. Um, whereas on a cell phone, you do. So it's bottom line is, like I said, write down the dispatch number where you, uh, if you're going to be calling on a cell phone, write down the dispatch number where you live and also in the city where you work. And that way you can call in and get them directly faster. Well, working Marine Patrol, we actually hand out cards on the river to for boaters to have of the the pertinent numbers for the four jurisdictions that cover the Delta area here. So they've got four direct dispatch numbers for, for the four counties plus the uh, local Coast Guard station that they can call because we've had so many boat accidents where uh, a boat boater will be going up the river, come across a major incident with people injured, call 911. It goes to the CHP dispatch center, and it goes to a dispatcher who doesn't even know what the Delta is. They're saying, where are you? You know, what city are you in? And the people on the river don't know. And it takes forever to get help rolling. But if you call the dispatch center directly for the area that you're in, like um, Contra Costa or Solano or San Joaquin or or Sacramento, uh, it makes all the difference in the world. I mean, you've got help rolling instantly. And they know where to go versus... Not having a clue. You know, right. for people at work and at home, if you have the chance, I know everybody carries cell phones now, and a lot of people don't even have home phones anymore um, because they carry the cell phones. But if you have a home phone or if you're at work and you have a work phone that's plugged into the wall, use that. They know exactly where you're at the minute you call 911. A cell phone, they have no idea where you're at. And if, you know, if you're injured or something or you don't even really know where you're at, you you're going to be a little help to, to provide information. So if you have the opportunity to use a, a corded phone, use that if you're going to call 911. Well, and I guess, uh, I mean, as, as a guy who uses Comcast for his home phone that doesn't even use a, quote, wall outlet as the old school, you know, phone company, you know, I, I got to do a little research myself to make sure that that is actually getting redirected to my local than it is, uh, you know, and those are the types of things that I think in today's, you know, tech community, everybody's on voice over IP. They might be using Skype like we're using to record this show. You know, they could be all these things and they might think that 911 works the same on all those systems. And they have to be, I mean, you, you got to understand what technology you're using and make sure that you're getting to the right people or at least have those numbers in place to to be able to make those direct calls. Yeah, I'm, right. You know, speaking of technology, page. I... I'm liking all the advice Mark's given. I mean, the dude doesn't even know how to text, and he's giving us advice on cell phones and everything. That's beautiful. Oh, hey. You know? What can you say? <laughs> it's in a time for you to go get another cup of coffee, Jim. <laughs> oh, but American Idol is coming on. Oh, that's good. At least oh, we know what you want. I think you're missing it. I think it's already on. Well, we got, we got one more question, and then we can wrap it up for the first show. So, I mean, we have obviously we have an unlimited amount of topics to talk about. We could sit here all night and talk. So, um, question four. Uh, I would like to know, as a civilian, what are my rights as a witness to a bar fight? Do I have to give the police my statement? Do I have to give them my Social Security number? What if they come back and harass me about it? Oh, this, Jim went to go get his coffee. I heard the door. This is a good one, and Jim, I would think, would want to answer this one. But well, basically, oh, as a witness, you know, I, we go to a lot of times. There'll be a shooting on the street, and you start saying, "Did anybody see anything?" Everybody turns around, and says, "I didn't see nothing." Generally, as a witness, they can't force you to give information. Um, if it is a serious crime, like let's say there's a shooting, 
and it was proven that you were right there and they know you saw something, you're probably going to be taken down to the police station to give a statement because that's a serious crime. And, and you know, if they know you're a witness, something that's serious, they are going to question you. Is it a bar fight? I, I can't see. Maybe some police departments ask for Social Security numbers. Where I, I work, we don't. I couldn't, for imagine. I couldn't imagine no, I, asking for their Social Security number. I've never it, heard of that. Yeah. We'll ask for driver's license numbers. Um, you know, maybe their name, address, birthday, driver's license number. But we've never asked for Social Security numbers. And, you know, by chance, if some cop asks you that, you'd have the right to say, what do you need my Social Security number for? Yeah. I mean, I, you know, they, they may ask that. A cop may need that to confirm a warrant or something. But um, well, I mean, Jim, Jim and I did a huge seminar. It was probably about a two hour talk on identity theft. And I mean, the the thing that we beat into everybody's head is don't give away your personal information. You know, so, you know, part show in the future for us, identity theft. Oh, that's a whole that's a whole hour show. Easy. Uh, You don't question that. If a police officer says, what's your social security number? I mean, if they're booking you in a jail cell, hey. You know, yeah, we do ask for that. That is but as a witness, <laughs> as for a witness at a crime, I, I can't see them asking for a social social security number. So I, just my opinion. Jim, you got this, your coffee this thing, back. You this, this thing boils down to, you know, three types of people. The, the first person is going to do the right thing and uh, want to see the person responsible that, that split this guy's uh, head open in the bar. He's going to want to Unless see something done, that did it. and he's going to tell the officer, hey, this this is what I saw. Or the other person is, is going to be someone that really ser- seriously fears retaliation and doesn't want to get involved, which is understandable. And then the third person is going to be a flat-out drunk idiot in the bar who has a thing for cops and wants to be uncooperative and, and not say anything, and that's fine. You know, you have a right to be an idiot. You have a right to fear retaliation, and you have the right to do the right thing. And that see some moron get put in custody for for wrecking everyone's Friday night. So, you know, it comes down to three types of people. But no, you don't have to talk to the cops. And uh, we you know, just appreciate we just appreciate it if you do. I mean, well, I, think I think that's what it comes Jim down. Jim might have missed the first part while he was getting coffee. But Jim, let's say you go to a uh, a bar and somebody got seriously stabbed or shot, and. Uh, and there's witnesses that were right there. Might even have some blood on them or something. There's a chance this guy may die. This is a serious thing. People in that case generally don't have a right not to talk to the cops. They're probably going to be taken down to the police station to talk to detectives in a oh, serious so- situation like that. In in your basic bar fight where a cop walks in and says, "Did anybody see anything?" No, you re- you don't have to talk to them if you don't want to. No, I I agree completely. I, I read this and it just said, you know, like a regular bar fight. I didn't say it was like major carnage and, and uh, right. tragedy. Right. But I, I would just go into the extreme where uh, where people could be forced to go down to a police station. Yeah, they could. But yeah. for your average nightclub little brawl where uh, party A hits party B and party B gets a broken nose and it's just kind of a mutual combat thing. You know, if you're looking for witnesses, I, I don't think they really have to say anything to you if they don't want to. No, and I think the majority of people are going to be like most people we find at a scene like that. Didn't see a thing. Yeah, sadly, that's the answer I hear most of the time. Yeah, yeah. but you know what? 
it's all about karma and what goes around comes around and sooner or later you have that attitude and it's going to happen to you and where you would want someone to step up and say hey it was that guy over there with that red sweatshirt you know with the white lettering you know yeah. someone's going to say no nah, i didn't see nothing and uh yeah, if it was you or a family member yeah like you say yeah i don't well that's a that's a tough one i mean that's a personal choice that just people are going to have to make on their own well let's right. give them a i mean the thing I like about these questions is a lot of them are written by people that got victimized. A lot of them are people that got victimized by cops that don't like cops and want to know, you know, what's up and, and uh, what kind of rights they have. The last part of this question says, do I have to give them my social security number? Or what if I'm harassed by them? If they're harassed by the officer in trying to get information from that, you know, they have every right to say, hey, I don't want to speak to you. Will you please call your supervisor? I'd like to talk to your sergeant right now. You know, everyone has a right to have a supervisor or somebody else come out or, or to go through the complaint process. But, you know, I, unless it's something that's a, a major issue like Mark described where someone is going to be temporarily detained as a witness, um, if, if someone's being harassed by an officer for, for uh, information, they probably have recourses as far as citizens complaint to uh, – you know, to file a complaint. Right. Well, I mean, it's interesting over the past week, I've been trying to find, you know, us different ways to, to get the word out about this podcast and a couple other things across the web. And one of those ways is Twitter, which I think both of you guys are somewhat familiar with. Obviously I've been pretty heavy with that, but there's ways to search for terms in that, in that service where you can see what people are saying and what trending topics are and other things like that. And I got to tell you, if anybody out there uses it and they put in the words police, you should see some of the stuff that comes up. The uh, the general consensus is is that there's a lot of people that like in question four that I think are having this question. Uh, you know, they just don't they don't get along with the cops. And I guess what you know, hopefully, what I've done over the past week is get uh, that incorporated in there so people can ask us questions through that service, Twitter. Um, you can just go to our site and sign up right there. Um, We'll sort of close it up here. Give you a couple. Yeah, I don't other tweet. Things. I don't tweet or anything. But I know you're into that. So uh, well, I, I mean, more people only, you could reach, the better. The yeah, only tweet I, I know is Mark. I don't even text. <laughs> hey, don't you have some undersized fish to go check or something, Joe? <laughs> yes, I do. Or, we've got a big problem with that. We've already talked yeah. about Mark's inability to text, but you can get it on your phone, Mark. It depends. It's not on that I can't. It's phone. that I don't want to. Oh, I, I, why, why would I want to type to somebody when I could just call them and talk to them? That's old school. That's yeah. Whatever. whatever. Anyway, to wrap this up, um, so. give us your feedback. Let us know. You know, type to us. Text us. Hey, I can't read it because I don't text. But <laughs> text the site. Whatever. Let us know how you like this first episode. If uh, you're going to be interested in. Uh, hearing more and um send us ideas just like dirty jobs with mike Rowe. i love that show send us ideas for the show and he's uh, local maybe, we'll maybe use... you know he's local we could get him on the show maybe maybe <laughs> but just like him we need ideas because if we don't get ideas uh we're not gonna have a lot to talk about so send us your feedback and send us your ideas okay so basically website has all of our stuff you can subscribe to the show on itunes you can and ask Brent, us. What is the website again? <laughs> the website is coptalk.info. C O. Don't forget www. Yeah, uh, you don't need www. Just like your inability to text, you don't need that anymore. Oh, 
God, so stuck back in the eighties. Yeah, it's it's all new now, Mark. It's I'll all. Tell you, this modern technology. I don't know yeah, about this. Better watch out. I'm gonna drag you guys into it though. So hang Mark on. Mark still carries two dimes in his pants pocket in case he has to make an emergency phone call at a at a phone booth. But it's thirty five cents, that, Mark. If I remember that, that was one of the tips in the book that you first wrote, Jim. Oh, that is a good point. Ouch. So so, so let's. Let's wrap it up. So the website, coptalk.info, you can subscribe to the show on iTunes. You can ask us a cop in the Ask a Cop section, which is totally anonymous. You can subscribe by email. And uh, I just wanted to say to everybody that's listening today, thanks for your support over the past 10 years, for all the people that have purchased the book, for all the people that have put up with uh, Jim, Mark, and myself. And I just wanted... I did want to take a quick second to just put the word out to the guys at Oakland PD who just went through their uh, the, the one-year anniversary of their incredible loss that they had there. I know that uh, Jim wrote a quick story about that. I think Mark said a few words about that, and uh, we support those guys fully. So with that, I think we'll just sign off for show number one, and uh, hopefully we'll see you guys on show number two. Thanks, Jim and Mark. Thank hey, you. Thank you. You guys be safe and uh, lock your vehicles in your house at night. Stay safe out there.